know, the Bible says that when we pray, incense, it's like incense going up into heaven. You know that. And I was thinking about that when we were singing that last song, Let Incense Arise. When we pray, it, it, the Bible talks about it's the, the, the incense going up to God. So in some respects, when you pray, that's the closest to heaven you're going to get this side of eternity. And, uh, and you actually go into the actual throne room of God uh, when you're in prayer. So just a nice little thing about that. Well, let's change gears just a little bit. Let's talk about a subject that I do not like talking about. I don't like talking about it because it's been abused. But uh, we're going to talk about money. Money, 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 money. And uh, like I said, it's not one whoops, It's not one that I like, but we are going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it because it's in the Bible and it's something that uh, um, Jesus talks about more than almost any other subject in the Scriptures is money. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about in our series and mini-series, we're in the mini-series within the mini-series uh, of our series of learning to think, love, and act like Jesus. Uh, the mini-series within that is learning to, uh, the joy of generosity. And now we're going to go even further down into money. So, with that in mind, let's talk about that today. I have, uh, I was talking with Betty this, uh, right before the church service started, about some interesting people that I've developed throughout the years. And uh, when it dealt with some funds and, and money, and, and uh, this person isn't around anymore, but we were talking about those who went through the Depression and how the Depression uh, affected people. Now, we don't have too many here now that went through the Depression, but it affected people many different ways. And in my, my first church, I had two individuals. One had white hair, the other one had black hair. And one had white hair. She, she lived through the Depression, and she learned to give. She, she learned that the joy of just giving to people. And then I had someone who had black hair, and she was a hoarder. She learned that you had to hoard. Uh, give you an idea on some of the things that she did. She would take uh, powdered milk, okay, and she would put Wheaties in a bowl, sprinkle powdered milk on top of it, and then she'd put water on top of that. This side got that, okay? And, but that's what she'd do. She would look for the cheap ways in order to do things. So money is one of those things in the church when you talk about it that sometimes people just get very upset about it because it has become a god. It's become an idol. In fact, it's one of those things that we throughout the week we 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 give time of our lives in order to achieve some of that and we just can't print it ourselves we can't print it this side gets it but anyway yeah you can print it if you want but you're going to see Daryl pretty soon but we we can't print it but so we, in order for exchange, we give parts of ourselves or something that's valuable to someone else in order to achieve it. So t today I want to talk about money, and I want to talk about the good and the bad of money. This is going to be more of a negative sermon than it is a positive. Just letting you know, next week it's going to be a positive sermon. It's a two-parter, 
It has to be because this is too, too big of a subject in order to talk about. Our main text today is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, the, the, the entire text for this entire series is 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. So if you want to read that throughout the week, you're going to see where I'm going. So let's talk about this. Money is a tool. It shouldn't be a God, it's a tool. Every one of us probably has some money in their pocket. If you don't have money in your pocket, you have something in your pocket in exchange for money. It could be a credit card, it could be something like that. But money is a tool. It facilitates, it's an exchange of a measure of value. And what that means is, is that I give something of myself in order in exchange for, for money. I give 40 hours a week to someone, and in that 40 hours, they give me money in exchange for that. And so I use that in order to live, in some respects enjoy life, or in, in other respects even indulge in life. Not saying that's wrong, it can be if it goes to an extreme. So it facilitates, it's an exchange. It, money, it brings... Uh, uh, diverse in society and <clears throat> enables gift giving for that. In other words, I can give you some, something in exchange, something that you need, something that you, or whatever, and it actually brings joy. Uh, when Christmas is coming, when I was smaller, I couldn't wait for Christmas morning for what I'm going to get. Now that Christmas, as I am older, I don't care what I get. I want to give. And I want to see the joy on that. I was sharing that with someone uh, even earlier. They were saying, hey, thank you for this. And I said, I just want to be there when, when, when the kids open this up and see that and, and see how they, how, how they react in some of that. Another one, it, money is involved in hierarchies in, within the society. Um, Especially in India, you see a lot of that. But in our society, there is a hierarchy as well. Where It determines where you live, it determines where you drive, it determines a lot of different things. Uh, if you want to see what's really interesting, go to California and to Los Angeles. And you'll see a lot of individuals driving cars that you would never see in this area. I mean, you don't see too many Lamborghinis in this area, do you? And yet, we're going up the, the highway in California, and they're everywhere. I mean, they're going right, right through you, goes the Lamborghinis. And I don't, I don't know what it would be in this area, a tractor or a combiner. I don't know what it would be. Corvettes would be one. I've seen a couple of those this week. But uh, it, it is a hierarchy in, in, in society. It, uh, um, it, it's a, it's a state of power as well, where uh, those who have more money seem to have a little bit more power. I've, I've seen that in a church, in churches before. Haven't seen it here, and I'm thankful for that. I really am. Where the number one donor in the church says, it's going to be done this way, or. Well, I don't see that in Scripture. But, but I haven't seen that here, thankfully. But it's also a tool of life. Um, you can't survive without it. There's just no other way to say it. Um, even if someone's on uh, government assistance, they, they get money or they get something that has a value there. So you just cannot 
survive without it. And I think that's one reason why we've become really attached to it and or angry when people tell us what to do with our funds. Interesting fact, I don't know if it's true. Maybe some of you who are involved in finances can tell me or not, but I, I read this this week, that most Americans live at 20% above their income level. Where there's too much, you're, 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 you're buying too much, and then you get in trouble. And that's one of the problems with credit cards is it's free money for a period of time, and then eventually you have to pay it back. But the purpose of most societies is this, to separate you from the money that you have, to entice you to spend. I mean, think about it. You, get, you, you turn on the television, what do you see? An advertisement. I was watching a, a show, and one time, and I go, man, there's a lot of there's a lot of advertisements on that sh this show. And what they started to do is they would have like a 15-minute episode, then they'd have a commercial, and then another 15-minute episode and a commercial, and then a 5-minute episode and a 10 minutes of commercial, and 5 minutes and 10 minutes. And I'm sitting there going, wow. I mean, I, I literally started, I started uh, uh, counting how many minutes and how many commercials there were because that's how they sell their product. And I'm, and I'm wondering if the worse the commercials are, the more we remember it. So that, you know, that's why you have the Geico, the Prudential, and the Progressive, and the, the one that I really, it's like fingers on a chalkboard is the emu of Liberty Mutual. That bird, I'd just like to get rid of that bird. <laughs> But, but, you, but I remember it, and that's what they're trying to do. You don't believe me? Have it your way. What, what brand? Burger King. Okay? Finger licking good. You know, it's, we're, it's, supposed to, it's, it's close to noon. If it was yesterday, it'd be noon. How many of you are hungry right now? And I'm talking about food. But society, what they want to do is, if they can entice you to get rid of that, and, and for, they to, for you to exchange it to them. Uh, and, and so what they do is they make some things that are necessary for you. For example, when Polly and I first got married, this was our budget. Tithe, food, shelter, clothing, transportation, insurance, other essentials like medical. Our utilities were essentially heat, electric, and telephone. We lived in the country. Telephone was $20. $20 a month. All right? Now, we have the same, same expenses. However, the utilities have changed a little bit. Electric, heat, water, sewer, cable, internet, cell phones. Now, that wasn't around when I was younger, when we first got married. But we know that cables won $100 a month, maybe. I don't know. I don't have it. Internet, $52 a month with Wabash. That's who I got. I know that because I, I pay the bill every month. Cell phones. Who wants to groan on that one? My $20 a month for telephone has gone up to $160 a month. And I know of families, I don't know if you're here, 
but I know of families, I'm not referring to you, who are spending $400 a month on a cell phone bill. That's amazing. But how many of you can live without a cell phone? I can. Let's be honest, you can, but we are now programmed that we have to have it. Your kids have got to have it. If they don't have it when they're in school, it's a safety feature, right? Really? I've watched videos, and it concerns me greatly, of school teachers who have taken cell phones away from students because they were using them in class, and the students got so angry they started beating on the teacher. There's a problem with that. So money, we, we, it's become part of our lives, and I think that's one reason why when a pastor or someone starts talking to you about it, we become very tense about it, because don't tell me what to do. And part of it's the church's fault. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But first, let's look at the bad use of money, of wealth. For money, Joseph was sold into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. For money, Achan was, uh, was brought defeat to the Isra Israel's army because he took some, hoarded some uh, uh, bounty from a battle that he wasn't supposed to. For money, Balaam sinned and tried to curse God's own people. For money, Delilah betray betrayed Samson and caused the slaughter of thousands. For money, Ananias and Sapphira became the first hypocrites in the church and God executed them there. For money, Jesus sold, I always get this back, for money, Judas sold Jesus. See, that, that we, sometimes we try to do things to earn it in a wrong way. And as I said before, most societies want to separate you from that. I once had a gentleman that I talked to at the beginning of my ministry, and uh, this gentleman was, I was sitting here just talking with him, and he says, you know, my dad told me in order to be successful in life and have a lot of money, you must get into an industry that absolutely everyone needs. So get into an in industry that someone's, every person's going to need eventually in their life. And I looked at him and smiled, and I said, is that why you're a mortician? And he said, yes, <laughs> that's why. And it was one of the first funerals I did. Thompson's Funeral Home up in, up in Montpelier. But I want to talk about the elephant in the room. I want to talk about the church. Not this church. When I say the church, I'm talking about the universal church. An elephant in the room is when there's something obviously there that we keep avoiding. By example, someone is an alcoholic, the family knows about it, and they just ignore it. I want to talk about a subject here that has been in the church for millennia. And that's the false use of scriptures in order to obtain more funds in the church. Fortunately, this church does not do that, and I'm thankful for that. Throughout history, the church has developed theology that is against what God says and what's against what Jesus said. It was 
In the Middle Ages, it might have been called indulgences, where if you give money to the church, and then your, your loved one will not be in purgatory that long. Or in the 1800s, it was called gospel of wealth, where poverty was equated with sin. So if you're in poverty, there's a sin in your life. That, that smacks against 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 7, that comes right out and says that God makes people wealthy and also poverty as well. Can I actually tell you that some of the richest spiritual people that I know are those who are poverty? Go to Bangladesh, go to India, go to Haiti, go to those areas and you'll see individuals that don't have much and boy their spirituality is strong and it's strong because they have to rely upon God for absolutely everything. Then it became what's called the New Thought Movement. Then it became the Substitutionary Atonement. Then it became called the Blessing Pact. And now we're getting into my generation where it was called Sevenfold Principle. Where if you gave to, to God, if you gave to the church, if you gave to, to uh, this ministry, God was going to bless you back sevenfold, seven times. So if you gave $100 to this ministry, God will give you $700 back. And I still remember that. Health and wealth gospel, it became. And now we know it as the prosperity gospel. Let me share with you a definition of what the prosperity gospel is. And I do not hold to this. I want to be very clear on this. Prosperity the theology teaches that Christians are entitled. Hear that word, entitled? Just within the first sentence, I'm going, no! We are not entitled to anything. God is entitled. Christians are entitled to well-being and spiritual and physical realities are seen as one inseparable reality. Interprets well-being as well as physical health and economic prosperity. It teaches the doctrine that focus on personal empowerment, promoting a positive view of spirit and body. They maintain that Christians have been given the power over creation because they are made in the image of God. They teach that positive confession allows Christians to exercise dominion over their souls and material objects around them. Leaders of the movement view the atonement as providing for the... Say it again. Thank you. I couldn't say in the first service. For some reason, my, every time I look at that, I, I just go blank. It's my, it's my dyslexic kicking in. And, uh, say, what is it? Thank you. Alleviation of sickness, poverty, and spiritual corruption. Poverty and illness are cast as curses which are broken by faith and righteous acts. Wealth is interpreted in prosperity theology as a blessing from God obtained through spiritual law of positive confession, visualization, and donations. Believers may see this process in almost mechanical terms. So do you get this, what it's saying? I, I read the whole definition for you. You are entitled if you do righteous act, and God's going to bless you with health and wealth. 
Now, God is, is the blesser. Don't get me wrong. Solomon, God bless Solomon. God bless David. Don't get me wrong on this. But that word entitled really bothers me. We're going to do this because God, we're going to demand of God. I'm going to give because God will bless me back. Really? Really? Go to Hebrews chapter 11 and read that chapter. Where it's the, the heroes of the faith and they walked around destitute. Tell our Afghanistan Christians that all they have to do is name it and claim it and they're not going to be persecuted. In my opinion, it's nothing more than a scheme, unfortunately, where it comes from parts of the church. It's a scheme. And, and, and I'm, I'm appalled every time that I, I see it. Because it's not biblical. It's not biblical. And if I could apologize on behalf of the church, I would for that heresy. There was a woman that Jesus looked at in the book of Mark who went to the temple and she gave two mites, two pennies, that's all she had. And she was blessed by Jesus. She was pointed out by Jesus. And the rich man came and gave thousands of dollars to the temple and Jesus... Look at this gal. She gave all she had. Does that mean that she wasn't in God's favor? Prosperity gospel appeals to the idolatry of materialism and wealth. And notice what I said, the word idolatry. I'll be honest. I'll, I'll share with you a little. I got caught up in it a little bit when I, when I was getting ready for college. There was a ministry. They were doing the seed faith thing. I sent them a hundred dollars, and I was a, you know, I was a college or a high school kid. Then all of a sudden, I I got this this scholarship, and all, you know, and even though they gave it to everyone, <laughs> these false teachers. And Peter talks about it. He says, in there, in Peter, first, second Peter chapter two, it says, But there are many false teachers or prophets amongst the people, just as there are false teachers amongst you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them by swift destruction of themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of the truth into disrepute. Verse 3. Verse 3. In their greed. Do you see that? In their greed, these teachers will, ex will exploit you. In their greed, they will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. These false teachers are driven by three things. Power, pleasure, and the purse. Many of these pastors have started out well. But they started to compromise. If I can tell you the biggest mistake I've made in my ministry, because over 35 years I've made mistakes. 
I'll be honest with you. I have made mistakes. But the biggest mistake I ever make is when I compromise. It might have been a little. Because I'm a type of person who wants everybody to get along. And I'm a fix-it person. So if there's a problem, instead of just saying, this saith the word of God, I'm trying to fix it. How can we work this out? The problem comes when I compromise. See, Solomon, he compromised. Here you have Solomon. 700 wives. 300 concubines. Why did he have so many? Because in the ancient world, when you did a peace treaty, you married one of the family. So you brought them over because I'm not going to, you know, if, let, let's say someone in Menden, okay, we're having a, Salina's having a treaty with Menden. So, so I marry a Mendenite because Salina is not going to attack Menden. Because that's where my wife is from. Or Menden is not going to attack Salina because we're not going to kill my daughter. You see that? And so it brought in the treaties, it brought in wealth, and you know, Solomon became as rich as he was. But the problem is, is he brought in a thousand women. But he didn't stop them from bringing in their gods. And so when you compromise, as Solomon did... You start compromising, and then he starts bringing in these gods, and eventually his heart started to turn away from God. The wisest man that ever lived did one of the most foolish things he could have, all for the sake of money. In fact, if you go to Proverbs chapter 30, there's a man named Agar there, A-G-U-R. And Proverbs is primarily written by Solomon, but there are sections of that that are written by other people. Proverbs chapter 30 is one of them. He's a man named Agar, and he saw what Solomon did, and he was pretty much turned off by what Solomon did. Notice what he said. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7. I'm going to start. It says, two things, he's praying. It says, two things I ask of you, Lord. Don't refuse me before I die. Keep falsehoods and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me my daily bread. All he wanted was just what I need. And a lot of that's because he saw what Solomon did. And he's saying, I don't want to fall away. Prosperity gospel is, appeals to the idolatry of materialism and wealth. I'm, I'm thankful this church doesn't preach that. I'm thankful that when we do have projects, we're not begging for money here. I'm thankful for that. We pretty much say this is the project, this is what we're going to do. If the money comes in, it comes in. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You know? Um, I don't think, I, 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 ever since, I think we've said, hey, here's our project. I don't think we've ever come back and begged for funds. I, I'm thankful for that. I really am. Uh, because that's when we start compromising, and I don't want to do that. Okay. So I talked about the negative. I told you today's sermon is going to be primarily negative. Let's go to a little bit of positive here, okay? So let's talk about the good use of wealth. Mark chapter 12, verse 41 to 44 a widow gave her two mites and was honored by Jesus. 
Exodus chapter 36, the Israelites gave so much to the building campaign of the tabernacle that Moses had to tell them to stop. You're giving too much. We don't need it anymore. Malachi chapter 3, verse uh, 10, and I'm eventually going to uh, preach on this, says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And thus put, and, and God says to this, he says, put me to the test. Put me to the test. He's saying, tithe. Put me to the test. One of the few times in scriptures, God says, try me on this. And the Lord of hosts will see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out to you a, a blessing that is overflowing. The key to this is, if you read further, it's not talking about God's going to let you win the lottery. God's going to have Publishers Clearinghouse come to your house. It says your car is going to keep running a little bit longer. Your combine's going to work a little bit longer. The pests in the, in the fields aren't going to devour your crop. That's what it's talking about. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Macedonian church gave to the suffering church of Jerusalem. They gave and they begged to give more. Isn't that great? Some of you have that gift of giving. And you know the joy of being able to give. I haven't obtained it yet. I, I'll just be honest with you. I'm the one who's the facts and the figures will say, can we do this, can we do this, can we do this? That, that's me. But some of you have got that joy. You know what it's like to give. Some of you just live to give. I, and I've experienced those people in my ministry, people like that. My, my first church, my, my first paycheck was $100 a week in my first church. And so the people gave. I mean, I, I, I'd have people come up to me, uh, Omer Mansfield, 99 years old. I'd go visit him. And I didn't go just for, for this, but he goes, you know, I have some canned beef and peaches. Why don't you take some? Libby peaches and canned beef. Every time I left his house, I had canned beef and peaches. It was humbling, but at the same time, I, I wanted him to have the joy of giving. We had another name, Lois Wheatrill, another lady. And, and she, every time I go visit her, she would say, you know what? And she, was, she just loved life. She was a, oh, she was great. And she, and she would always give us something. I won't tell you what it is, but she always give us something. And, and, and we, no, we never did this. We never said, you know, Paula, we could use some canned beef. Let's go see Omer right now. We never did that, okay? But, but next time you visit him, he goes, how are those oranges? Uh, we didn't eat them. Why didn't you eat them? Well, they were kind of green and fuzzy, you know. <laughs> but he learned the joy of giving. And that's what happened with the Macedonian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Hear what is said. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know, and, and Paul's talking to the Corinthian church here. The Corinthian church is a rich church. The Corinthian church is the church of the United States. We are a rich church. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, which is a poor church. Northern Greece is where Macedonia is. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations, and they gave themselves first of all to the Lord 
and then to the will of God also, then also to us. The Macedonian churches that didn't have much, they gave a lot to the Jerusalem church that was suffering. The Jerusalem church was suffering because many of them gave their lives to Christ, and as a result of that, they lost their livelihood, they lost their family, they lost their property, and many of them lost absolutely everything when they came to Christ. I know of a pastor right now, he used to be Church of God, but now he's United Brethren. That it was the same way. He was a Hindu, he gave his life to Christ, and now he's lost everything as a result of it. His family has cast him out of the will, out of the business, and uh, he just, uh, and he has nothing except for what the church gives him. And so here we have the Jerusalem church, they're that way, and they're hurting. So what did they do? The church of Macedonia came and they gave them funds in order to live. It's like the United States Church helping the Afghanistan church. Okay? So they lost everything. And the thing is, Macedonian Christians were dealing with some of the same issues, but they gave what they could to the Lord. And as a result of that, they saw the blessing. I don't know how God blessed them. It doesn't say how God blessed them in, 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 in the Scriptures. It could be you know, God just blessed them with the joy. Could God have blessed them with job? I don't know. It does not say. I will not add anything to it. But it does say in verse 4, it says they urged, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So we have the prosperity gospel that says I'm entitled. And then you've got this gospel which says please let me have the privilege of being able to help again. See the, see the differences? He was using the Macedonian church as an example of the joy of generosity and the joy of giving. The Macedonian Christians' church learned the joy of generosity. So the question is, how did they achieve that joy? And the answer is, next week. I told you I wasn't going to be able to get through this. I want you to read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. The answer is there. It is there. Now, interesting. This has been a very interesting week. I'm about done. It's been a week where I have received a lot of things and I wasn't expecting. And I'm not talking about gifts or anything like that. Many of you saw the video that I did for um, Sanctuary City. It was interesting that when I was asked to do the video, five minutes after I was asked to do that video, I sat down behind the computer and Facebook brought up Sanctuary Cities on churchleaders.com. It had all the information that I literally needed. And I didn't search for it. It was put right there. And I said, okay, God, I got the picture. You want me to do this. Also this week, I received a letter from Franklin Graham about the Afghan church, about the Afghan refugees that are in the United States. What can our church do to help those poor people? I went ahead and I sent that to our board for them to read and to let God touch their hearts. The rich, and I call this a rich church, I will. The American church is rich, helping the poor. 
what can we do? And I do believe that God wants us to. How? I don't know yet. But when we do that and we get around a cause like that, what does the Bible say? Please, let us do more. Oh, can we become a church like that? Please, let us do more. What a privilege it is to do more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what your word has taught us today, taught us today. May you be with us. Help us to learn the joy of generosity. Help us to follow the example of the Macedonian church. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said.